0: phone check one two what is this It's the five foot seven assassin in the podcast business and we're back with another episode of QLC TV my name is Rohan and I'm the host of this lovely show where I aim to give you authentic insight into the world of music which will be a primary focus as it's my absolute utmost passion in the world I just love music I'll also be talking about politics as the other key focus as well as some culture sports sprinkled in as well as topics about growing into adulthood and personal development as all of this is delivered from the perspective of a 25 year old Indian man living in Canada trying to make sense of not only myself but of the world so all in all I thank you so much for listening and taking part in this creative journey that I'm embarking on with QLC TV and I just hope that this platform will not only give myself but give those listening something nice to look forward to when they wake up in the morning because if i achieved that then i've succeeded hey everybody welcome to qlc tv it is episode 18 this is november 7th 2020 and this week has been absolutely crazy as we all know the u.s election sort of happened this week it occurred on tuesday but since then as we have been following our news channels and social media very closely. The The ballots are still being counted, but as we speak right now, it's about 2.27 p.m. on November 7th, it is official now that Biden has been crowned the winner of the election and the Democrats are going to be in power starting next year. So I will be giving you my reaction on what the hell happened, what this means for the states, and also some other insights from the election that are unrelated to which candidate actually won that I thought were pretty enlightening, uh, particularly as it relates to some of the down-ballot provisions that were supported by a majority in a couple big states. And then finally, I'm going to shift gears to music and see if this new clipping record, Visions of Bodies Being Burned, keeps up 2020 streak of amazing hip-hop. And then finally, I'm going to wrap up with quickly touching on the new single from Freddie Gibbs and Big Sean and Hit Boy, Four Thanks. So starting with this election, right off the bat, the fact that it is Saturday as we speak right now, and we just found out that the results are in and that we find that Biden's the winner, Whereas normal, modern democracies, even in a pandemic, would have been able to get this done quicker. And that's an embarrassment. And the reason I bring this up is because not only the fact that it's taken so long in certain states, the fact that the United States functions so decentralized where states have their own kind of rules for everything, it causes a lot of confusion. And that's really important, not just because it's kind of annoying to not even understand how the hell your ruling power, ruling party will be selected and when, but it leads to a lot of confusion that leads to a lot of questions, controversy, and eyebrows being raised at simple things that I think could be explained away if the election process was much more clearly communicated and it was all following a simple uniform process like isn't it hilarious how in the united states everything that should be your rights as humans is only acquired through intense struggle and sacrifice if you're working class and want to just put your kids through college fine you can do that just work a couple more jobs and then also prepare for your kids to be in hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt do you want to be able to afford Actual health care for your family Okay again Pull yourself up by your bootstraps And just become rich okay And now with voting There's people That have had to stay in line For three, four, six hours Sometimes even more Taking entire days of work off Just to get their votes cast Like that's nuts This is third world country shit And this is coming from the supposed superpower of the world With all of the technology available I just like I don't understand. It it makes no sense. And all of this is just to have the privilege to vote for two sexual predators, one war criminal, one soon-to-be war criminal as soon as Biden actually begins his tenure in office and continues the awful offensive wars that Americans have going on in the Middle East. And yeah, it's just kind of nuts. But that's not really the main focus, obviously. That's just an aside. The real focus is on the fact that Biden won, but I think it's really about the fact that Biden won with such an insanely small margin. Originally, I saw this playing out, using the polls as a barometer, obviously. I saw Biden winning with a decent margin, maybe another 15, 20 electoral votes more, so it would be more of a decisive win. But the other part of that is that I did definitely see Trump overperforming to the polls. I never believed that this would be the landslide that the polls suggested. And I'm using 2016 as reference because obviously we've heard loud and clear been said time and time again how awful the polling was and how incorrect it was, where where it predicted that Clinton would wipe the floor with Trump, and boy, was that incorrect. But still, given the fact that Biden was much less unfavorably viewed, By the Americans, there wasn't this vehement hate for Biden like there was for Hillary Clinton. And, most importantly, the fact that the freaking COVID pandemic is going on, and by all accounts, the Trump administration has brutally mismanaged this pandemic, leading to over 230,000 lives lost now, as of the time of this recording, and the record unemployment, just to put the cherry on top, there's no reason that this should have been this close. Trump had no business actually having a real chance at the presidency with all that god-awful performance on his resume. But all this being said, it's not like I'm incredibly surprised. And I, I find all these liberals right now crying about, oh my God, just the fact that it was so close tells you that trumps trumpers trumpsters are all just racist and they care so much about electing a white supremacist that much that they'd vote for trump or that people are so stupid that they'd vote for trump i think these people are just being so ignorant and so caught in their own woke fake woke bubble that they don't even understand what's reality because the reality is clear even with the pandemic the record unemployment and All of the embarrassment that Trump has displayed on office, which definitely factors into the typical average voter that doesn't care too much about policy, just from a decorum and leadership standpoint, so many people are turned off and hate this guy. So even with all that, it is clear that Biden, Kamala Harris, and the Democratic Party in general offered nothing of use, nothing of substance to minorities, or to the working class. Believe it or not, after four years of a lot of the racist rhetoric, discriminatory practices or policies that Trump proposed while he was running in 2016, a lot of it came to fruition in his time in office for these last four years. So even with the actual proof now, the actual evidence, More minorities voted for this Republican candidate in Donald Trump than any other Republican candidate in the last 60 years. That is absolutely mind-blowing. No world leader that I can think of in the modern era from a major country is so widely panned and painted by the mainstream media, by the world in general, as a unbelievably obvious racist even with all that he got the most minority votes in the last 60 years for the Republican Party to add on to this another really important insight coming from Florida Florida, which still voted for Trump when it was all said and done but by a slight majority to, to be clear even with them electing Donald Trump 61% of these same Floridians voted to raise the minimum wage to $15 by 2026. Now, I'm not going to get into the specifics, if that's enough, if that's good or bad, it doesn't matter. The clear thing is, and the obvious thing is, is that that's a left-wing policy. And that is incredibly telling, that the same people decided to vote for a president that completely and utterly disagrees with this policy preference that they ended up also voting for at the exact same time on the exact same ballot. What that tells you is two things, and I think they're both true. One, Joe Biden and the Democratic Party are so not trusted and are so disliked by the average American that people actually decided to vote against their actual policy preferences just because they couldn't stand that party and just because they don't believe anything that comes out of their completely corrupt mouths. The second part is that Joe Biden and the Democratic Party once again ran this campaign with one sentence in mind, orange man bad, orange man bad, we are not orange, we are regular white. And actually the vice president is brown, she is Indian, she's black, vote for us. That was, their, that was their entire campaign pitch. Versus a populist campaign that could have came from a Bernie Sanders, let's say, would have driven these points home. He would focus on the fact that he wants to raise the minimum wage. He would focus on the fact that healthcare is a universal right and needs to be covered by the government in a Medicare-for-all system. He would have done that. But instead, these incompetent fools in the Democratic Party ran the dumbest campaign ever to the point where they got inches away from actually losing this thing, nearly by definition, fumbling the bag. The last key piece of evidence that I want to bring to you guys that shows this Democratic incompetence is that although definitely not scientific, but still I think there's enough substance here that you can glean a lot of insight from. Fox News, throughout their election night coverage, they were running all of these kind of online polls, asking different kind of policy questions. Do you want the government to be more involved in subsidizing and managing health care? Do you want more strict gun laws? Do you think the government should overturn Roe v. Wade, which is the um, the, the law, the statute, Legislation, whatever you want to call it, that upholds abortion rights in the United States, and of various other kinds of questions, all of them were at least 60 to 70% in support of the quote unquote left wing position. These are Fox News viewers. These are people that are overwhelmingly more likely to be conservative and vote for the Republicans. So that tells you again that the United States, along with if you take this from a macro outside of the United States, a lot of the world in general, given the rise in technology advances, automation, global warming, the, the havoc that unregulated, unmitigated capitalism is causing in the world, a lot of people right now are starving for some real left-wing policies, real forms of collectivism, real social democracies. Real socialism. So it's an absolute disgrace that it even got this close. But all that being said, yes, I am definitely relieved that Biden won because, yes, he's a lesser of two evils and that's that's something to be happy for in 2020. It's been an awful year. At least we don't get four more years of Trump. But that's if Trump leaves and This leads to the other part of this whole discussion is that, yes, Biden technically won as of now, but now we're going to move into this whole situation of recounts, potential investigations, potential audits, uh, where the Trump campaign is going to be going to the Supreme Court to try to um, devalidate, validate certain ballots, obviously to try to get Trump some more votes and maybe shift who actually ended up winning these battleground states um, in this election. And now I know a lot of the discourse right now has been making fun of Trump, saying he's whining, saying he's being a baby, crybaby loser, and all that's correct. All of that is absolutely correct. And before I go into a potentially controversial take of mine that shouldn't be controversial, to be honest, I want to kind of go through some disclaimers so I don't get roasted. Yes. I believe that it is very likely that Biden won fair and square. This is evidenced by the polling, which again can be inaccurate, but all of them uniformly were skewed heavily to Biden's side. So this is not out of the realm of what would make sense based on all of the data that was presented to us before this point. Secondly, I think what Trump is doing now By not just hinting at it, not just saying, hey, we need to look into this, but genuinely and without any kind of nuance saying that I actually, I being Trump, won the election legally and Biden won it because of all these illegal votes. I do agree this is incredibly dangerous. It is undermining the trust that the public will have in the democratic process. And if that is lost or compromised, that is a really bad sign for a democracy's health. So I agree, not only is it embarrassing, it's actually quite dangerous and the messaging and what he's been saying is just absolutely irresponsible and messed up. Totally agree. But now I want to speak directly to the people that wanted Biden to win. Whether you were an actual Biden supporter or you just voted for him and wanted him to win because he was the lesser of two evils. It is okay to have a healthy amount of skepticism with the results of this election. And I think you can expand this to most elections to be quite clear. The reason I say this is that we have precedent for funny business happening in a U.S. election. We don't need to go farther back in history than the year 2000 when it was uh, George W. Bush versus Al Gore who was the Democratic uh, candidate. It is important to note for the sake of this discussion, that George Bush would theoretically have been the candidate that would be more favored by the establishment power structures, as Al Gore was pushing the idea and importance of addressing the climate crisis, and therefore was one of the ways that Al Gore potentially upending the cash flow to some really powerful corporations and people. The Florida recount controversy wasn't just a conspiracy. What happened was the election was going down to the wire and Florida was a key battleground state that could have, could have flipped the election either way. There were distinct irregularities in the way Florida ran their voting process campaign for the general election. There was things called caterpillar ballots where it confusingly asked people to, to vote on each page which were largely distributed in black neighborhoods who traditionally vote for Democrats, which were then rejected by the vote counting process because they were improperly filled out. Basically, it was very misleading and poorly created ballots. Similarly, confusing ballots called butterfly ballots were also distributed in Florida. I guess Florida loves their wildlife, I guess. I don't know what what is happening with these names, but it also confused voters because it had another confusing ballot layout where, again, it favored Bush because it was based on how the names were laid out. Bush's name was at the top and was not structured the same way the rest of the candidates were named. Therefore, a lot of Bush voters were not compromised. And according to a 2001 study by the American Political Science Review, this butterfly ballot cost Gore the election, plain and simple. And there's many other studies and many other articles that state how significant the voting process was in actually changing the result of the election. And so we have real reason to be skeptical that a candidate may be favored by the establishment and therefore the systems that govern the election and how the votes are counted, because we've seen it. We've seen it with George Bush. And so now that we've established that the candidate that the overwhelming powers that be in a country favor could actually maybe get an unfair advantage in the election, we actually have to look now at who would the system, who would the establishment favor in this election with Trump versus Joe Biden, the Democrats versus the Republicans. And that's where things get very muddy and not very clear. I don't feel super strongly as to who the establishment would truly favor here. On one hand, we have Trump with the traditional toast Republican policies, tax cuts for the rich, tax cuts for businesses and corporations, big businesses and corporations to be specific. But then we have Biden, who is not as lenient when it comes to taxes on the rich and taxes on corporations and big business he's still by no means a socialist and is not going to disrupt many of the core systems that are skewed towards favoring the rich and the powerful in any significant way. The only other thing we need to add to this is that maybe since Trump is simply a wild card he's reckless businesses in the establishment don't like this kind of risk and maybe they want to cut ties with him and they don't want him anymore. So at the end of all of this kind of analysis going back and forth where I think my opinion, obviously it's just my opinion, I determined it's possible potential funny business could happen with this election. We then have to get into who the establishment would actually favor because that would lead into which candidate gets favored by this potential funny business. I, at the end of the day, I just don't have a grand hot take to give on whether this election could have had any fraudulent elements to it. The one thing I do know very clearly is, and this almost feels dumb saying, but the fact that Biden was not leading and then eventually ended up winning a lot of these states is not fraudulent just on the face of it, and there's no real leg to stand on when you come to the order of operations of the fact that Trump was leading, largely due to the fact that his party encouraged people to vote in person and those votes were counted first and then biden did the opposite and those votes coming in through the mail were counted second so that that makes perfect sense and to add more nuance to the florida 2000 comparison i made we don't have those obvious or even potentially obvious elements of crazy, unfair practices in the way the votes were counted or the way ballots were created as none of those caterpillar ballots, butterfly ballot situations have been reported on so far in any of the key battleground states. But given the fact that public trust is at an all-time low in the voting process and an all-time low in government in general, I think that just because your team won doesn't mean your principles go out the window. And so if the results are within, let's say, a percent, I think they already get recounted just by the way the laws work in the United States. But just in general, I think we, as a left-wing movement, and just as people who want to vote and support the Democrats, I think you need to push for the proper audits and investigations to happen where necessary, in these key states. Because the public needs to trust the voting process. Otherwise, the democracy will fail. And let's also, again, not be naive to think that everything is always perfectly fair just because, again, your team won. Trump is doing terrible things. That's fine. We all agree. But let's not let that blind us from doing what is right to preserve some semblance of democracy in the United States. So the last thing I want to cover as it relates to this election is actually some good news. In a nutshell, drugs got a massive W. Three states, South Dakota, Arizona, and New Jersey, all voted to legalize recreational marijuana. Washington, D.C. decided to decriminalize all psychedelic drugs like acid and mushrooms. And then finally, Oregon actually took a huge step in voting to decriminalize all small amounts of drugs of any kind and so what decriminalization means quickly just to differentiate it from true legalization is that although it is illegal still to do these drugs the legal system won't prosecute a person for use of this drug under a specified amount and i think this is amazing i think this is absolutely fantastic i really hope more countries go in this direction as the societal effects can be incredibly positive. In Portugal, they've actually tested out and implemented a system that decriminalizes all forms of drugs. That that means heroin, meth, all of them. And the results have been great. Crime has decreased since the decriminalization. The prison population and all of the administrative burden on the criminal justice system is has been significantly eased. Drug use has actually decreased. In the young population whereas the rest of the population as a whole in all the other age groups have increased but only slightly and most effects of decriminalization found in studies don't lead to any significant increase in consumption to begin with this is a winning issue a I think a no-brainer but it's definitely gonna be something that will require a culture shift That will take a bit of time, but I think it's the way we need to be going. So if you have any reservations with this policy idea, as you're listening to this, ask yourself just a couple questions. One, let's say one of the more spooky boogeyman kind of drugs are legal tomorrow where you live, like heroin. Would you shoot that shit in your veins tomorrow if it was legal? Would you do that? Probably not, right? you as a normal human being probably wouldn't shift your behavior completely to try something that you 100% do not want to do in any other situation just because the government says now that it's legal so the second question you can ask yourself is do you think someone who sniffs some coke on the weekends deserves to be in jail alongside violent criminals do you think a person who holds A small amount of mushrooms should be in jail alongside pedophiles and rapists. Probably not, right? These people are doing no significant damage to society, and those who are addicted and maybe actually affecting those around them, they can actually get treated with real healthcare, real rehabilitation centers to actually solve the problem. Treat it like a health crisis, not like a criminal crisis. And so the last question I would want you to ask yourself is, do you want people to be buying these meth, heroin kinds of drugs from a bunch of Walter White's or Jesse Pinkman's, from shady drug dealers, gangs, or do you want them to go across the street to a locally government-run business and get safe drugs from a reputable buyer So that there's no overdosing, there's no weird, dangerous additives laced into this stuff as well. You also probably wouldn't, right? So those are simple, clear questions that I think really get to the crux of why I think legalizing all drugs would just make so much difference and be so impactful and positive for society. I really hope where I live, Canada moves in this direction as well. We have legal weed, but I hope we take it another step further so that people who are abusing these really hard drugs like heroin can actually get the help they need. Our prisons won't get filled up endlessly. We won't continue this cycle of criminalizing people and removing their rights and access to resources. So yeah, overall, Oregon took a really big step that I hope the world is watching and I hope they handle it well so that it can be shown as a great example to promote this kind of policy on a worldwide scale. So now moving on to this Clipping album called Visions of Bodies Being Burned. Clipping is an industrial experimental hip-hop group from LA that burst onto the scene in 2013 with a mixtape called Mid-City that got a lot of acclaim, got a huge buzz going for them. And they got signed to a, uh, an indie record label, Sub Pop Records. They're a group that I always liked. I admired the experimentation, the dark nature of the subject matter and the sounds. And particularly, and most importantly for me, the ambitious concept albums that they underwent. They had a pretty nice kind of blend of their industrial... Experimental sound along with more traditional West Coast sounds On their debut studio album Clipping in 2014 But then they really kind of took their ambition onto another level With Splendor and Misery which followed that record Which was a weird concept rap opera about People going to space, and I don't need to get into it too much, but it's a quite a unique storyline, all filled in with sound effects that are making it seem like you're literally levitating in a spacecraft. This group formed by rapper Daveed Diggs, who you may know from the Hamilton show and play. He is one of the main characters in that show. Then there's also two producers. William Hudson and Jonathan Snipes who are both classically trained and went to university studying musical theory and music design so this group has a pretty unique background and it shows in their ambitious high art look and perspective when it comes to rap music but they are still truly rooted in hip-hop and this is a rap group when it's all said and done that's what they are at the core and this neat mixture that they create really got me intrigued with clipping and then, most specifically, Splendor and Misery. A later album that they released last year, There Existed an Addiction to Blood, is supposed to be kind of like the sister album to this project that we're reviewing right now. And it kind of highlighted overall how I feel about this group in that I don't feel they fully delivered an album that had a lasting impact on me, that I wanted to go back to many, many times. The closest they got to was with that self-titled project in 2014, as well as Splendor and Misery. And although I thought the clipping self-title was nice in their mix of being accessible, but also uh, uniquely experimental and noisy... And then with Splendor and Misery, I thought it was so impressive thematically and sonically, but the lasting uh, impact it had on me in terms of how the songs were constructed, it didn't make me want to go back to it all that much. And I think right off the bat, what I was hoping to see, and what I do see on this album, Visions of Bodies Being Burned, is such a improvement in terms of how they create songs and how they make the album flow this nice attention to momentum throughout the project is apparent where songs lead into the other really really nicely this album plays out like a dark horror movie so that means that there's interludes just like on their previous projects that were very concept heavy except I find the interludes are placed so much nicer here and I feel like they advance the narrative more concisely they don't drag on too long and they add to the overall ambiance and atmosphere to this project that really adds to the experience and I also feel like the way that they mixed in similarly to what they did on their self-titled debut clipping in 2014 is that they did a great job of mixing the very off-kilter, off-putting elements that they always have in their music with more conventional West Coast sounds. And the musical palette that they're using throughout, although incredibly diverse for sure, seem to all be part of the same musical through-line that adds a strong cohesion to this album. The experimentation doesn't sound random and just for experimentation's sake, but instead, it sounds organized and methodically placed. It's like organized chaos. And this improvement is shown in the songwriting as well, with stronger and more impactful song structures. Say My Name uses a great, classic Ghetto Boys line that makes this track incredibly infectious and is the title of this album, Visions of Bodies Being Burned," And Lacing has a really impressive groove to end off this project, even with a constantly evolving instrumental. Looking Like Meat is catchy as hell too, with a super addictive bass-heavy beat that features all of these different weird bass notes that are so blurred and distorted, just come off so dirty, and just feeds this narrative that they display in the rhymes. And then Make Them Dead has such a really smooth and haunting chorus that is so nicely fluid and contrasts so coolly with the abrasive verses. Gives off a really nice kind of release of tension at the chorus. I could go on and on. 96 Nev Campbell is super catchy and shows another improvement in the harsher experimental aspects of this project being better incorporated, where David sounds like he's rapping from. A telephone booth, horrible, horrible quality on the verse, but it sounds really cool how it mixes in with the overall song and bleeds into uh, the chorus again. To sum all of this up, the experimentation on this album, unlike all of their previous albums, is at its best here because it makes the songs more engaging and the experimentation isn't just there to be different or to be weird for shock value sake. Overall, the sound play on this album is fantastic and is richer than the more skeletal predecessor in their existed "An Addiction to Blood," which I found was a little too cold for me at times to truly connect with. Tracks like "Eaten Alive" on this project, the sound effects of like chainsaws, creaking doors, loud metal clangs, random out of tune guitar playing, broken glass all create this incredibly disorienting, unsettling atmosphere but it's mixed so fantastically it just sounds like ear candy to me it sounds like an electronic and modern version of what Captain Beefheart did on Trout Mask Replica which was a groundbreaking experimental rock album from 1969 the experimentation on here is is, is more engaging for me and fits my personal preference Because it's still abrasive, but it's not too abrasive and crosses the line to where it becomes so loud and disruptive that it makes the songs just come off directionless. And so shifting to the rapping of this, this is what originally, and in general with the Clipping albums, takes longer for me to really understand. And I think on no album do they do a better job than this one in terms of really delivering and properly communicating the type of rapping perspective and approach that they take to music and with hip-hop. David consistently paints these vivid, ultra-detailed horror stories and oddball narratives that are certainly strange but are captivating simply for the fact of how out there they are and how detailed he is in painting these stories. Technically speaking, this guy's a magician. He is still in his peak when it comes to displaying a plethora of impressive flows, some nice wordplay at times too. But what truly brings the rapping performance and the lyricism to another level is the way it connects to the title, Visions of Bodies Being Burned, which as I mentioned, is a Ghetto Boys line. And Ghetto Boys is a pioneering horrorcore group. And that connection with that group, Ghetto Boys, doesn't just end with them uh, using them for a title. It may not seem like it on face value with such a futuristic and experimental album like this, but Clipping's violent subject matter pulls from this horrorcore style that groups like Ghetto Boys pioneered. They just put their own futuristic, experimental twist on it. Take the track "Eaten Alive, which was just such an amazing song, And illustrates this point that I'm trying to make exactly. The chorus of this song, Eaten Alive, says, Don't step a foot in the swamp with your gaiters on. It's redundant when one takes a foot. You may not have caught it, but don't step a foot in the swamp with your gaiters on. Gaiters are a type of shoe. And then the next line is, it's redundant when one takes a foot. What David is saying in this really weird, strange way, is he's saying to... Kind of the listener or to his adversaries, don't bother coming into my swamp, which can be a metaphor for saying don't come into my city again, you can see the allusions to kind of gangster rap right here. don't step step up to me on the mic. Uh, you can see that allusion to classic battle rap as well. but he's saying don't step a foot in this swamp. With your gaiters on. Because it's redundant. Because I'm going to take your foot. I'm going to eat it off. Don't even bother. Like that's just such a weird line. It kind of blows over my head at first. But it's so unbelievably clever. And shows this kind of futuristic take. On traditional gangster rap. That I think is so creative. And executed so well. On Say My Name. He has this hilarious line. About this girl needing to. Get their bitch womb ready, because this baby going to be fire. So it's, an again, like a futuristic uh, take on aggressively sexual, macho player line coming from a psychopath. Looking Like Meat is another example, where it's like a supernatural, psycho-violent gangster take on traditional battle rap, dissing a whack MC, where he amazingly writes at the end of his verse, No one cares about your bars your screams are the things they want to hear. Like, that's just hilarious and so clever. This is the first time that I think the marriage between their street subject matter truly made sense and worked perfectly with the futuristic, experimental, high-art approach they take to the instrumentals. I think this is Clipping's magnum opus of creating this cinematic gangster rap album packed with violence that has just blown into absurdity reaching potentially supernatural, fictional horror movie levels which all make perfect sense over this kind of soundscape that really goes all in into making this sound like a horror movie experience which makes more sense than their previous pairing on albums like Clipping where it was just a simple experimental take on more conventional hip-hop This futurism and dedication to making the atmosphere of this album so consistently, cinematically horrifying is the necessary backdrop to make their kind of lyrical take on gangster rap truly work. My only real reservations with this album aren't really even shortcomings that I see with what the artist was trying to achieve here. Because I think the artists in clipping achieved exactly what they wanted to do the only thing for me is from a personal standpoint is that there's not an incredibly high ceiling to this kind of music there isn't something that I can emotionally connect with very strongly and there isn't something that really makes me think or gain any kind of insight into something from an intellectual perspective which are things that are necessary for me to truly place an album in that classic, amazing, incredible uh, realm of albums for me It would have brought this album to another level if more tracks like Body for the Pile were on this project where there was distinct and clear connections to the real world and not just this horror movie atmosphere they've created where there's links to police brutality and anti-police messaging in it that are, are quite relevant and, and, and impactful when you hear it. But still, this is, is very minor because for the most part, this album just does an incredible job of creating such a genuinely disturbing rap album that has Great rapping, great lyricism, incredible sound play and attention to detail in the things like mixing on tracks like Something Underneath or Pain Every Day where the percussion is unbelievably engaging and sounds so nice and crisp due to the quality of the mix. They just overall really stepped up their game on all fronts. This is definitely my favorite Clipping album, and just continues this streak of incredible hip-hop in 2020. And for all these reasons, I give Clipping's Visions of Bodies Being Burned a strong 8.3 out of 10. And now the last thing I wanted to cover for today's episode is this Four Thangs Symbol. Symbol? I meant to say single, but actually it is symbolic, I guess you could say to how much we have been deprived in 2020 of just letting loose and going crazy at a club because it is absolutely a shame and a travesty that we are not all able to congregate on the dance floor at a sweaty nightclub and just blast four things as loud as possible and just go nuts because at just under two minutes, this compact track is absolutely jam-packed Full with straight crack. Incredible in every way. Flows, Woody One-liners, a complimentary beat that is so bouncy and groovy. I love this song. I was so surprised with just how much chemistry Big Sean and Freddie had. They just trade bars, trade flows. Big Sean did a great job. He definitely held his own. And Freddie's just shining like a star like he always does. The flows are just so incredibly infectious. I've played this song like 300 times since it came out. So that concludes what I wanted to talk about in episode 18 of QLC TV. Thank you everybody for listening. I really appreciate the support. I love doing this and I can't wait to continue doing more of these episodes of QLC TV moving forward. If you want to follow me, support the podcast. Please subscribe on all the podcast channels that you use, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and so on. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter, at Roview, so that's R-O-H-V-I-E-W, and shoot me a comment, send me a DM, and feel free to suggest whatever topic you think I should cover, whether it be some political discussion, music, etc., or if you just wanted to... Send me some feedback about something that you think I should improve on or consider changing as it relates to the show. I'm definitely all ears. I wanted to start this podcast to to help myself grow, help myself uh, express myself more efficiently, more concisely, more effectively. So I'm always open to anything that I should improve on, whether it be about how I deliver the show or just to criticize some horrible take that I had. I'm all ears. And I'd also like to extend an open invitation to any artist that makes music. If you want, please DM me, hit me up on Instagram, send me your music. I'd love to give you free feedback and thoughts on my opinions of your work and any other things you could maybe change to make it even better. If you're listening to this show, you know how passionate I am about music, how much I love analyzing music. And how passionate I am. I would love to be a part of your creative process to further improve your craft. And also I'd like to extend an invitation for anybody who wants to join me for a discussion on something they want to debate. Whether it be a political opinion or a musical opinion. I would love to you know, have you on the show and have an open discussion with you. I think that would be a lot of fun. Because you know I I really want to connect with you guys and really foster community here at QLC TV. So thank you once again for listening. Peace.